Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And I'm pumped to be here today. I I think it's going to be a really good show. I never, as we joke about all the time, I never come into it thinking to myself, boy, this one's really going to stink. Now, (laughs) ultimately, you guys are the arbiter and the judge, so it's not really my decision. But um, I think everybody's going to like this because I today is all about dealing with recession or no recession, bull bear type scenario. And we're going to have a little round table and, and I'm going to air it on the show. Not all of it, just because of time constraints. I read on one of the Apple reviews. I think I mentioned this. Somebody was saying he's just trying to get you into his podcast and he's teasing you. It's like a trick. And I'm just like, you know, cause I only aired part of it and he needs to air the whole thing. It's like, guys, we do our, sometimes hour and a half long form interviews. <clears throat> we have 48 minutes of airtime. Um, <laughs> so I'm not trying to trick anybody into anything. You can get on our podcast for free. There is no paywall. You don't need to subscribe to anything. You can subscribe and that helps us cause we get better guests, but <clears throat> um, yeah, no tricks. So I'm going to air part of it. <laughs> Save me the hate mail here. But uh, so probably the last 15 minutes of the show today will be will be the first 15 minutes of, of that hour or so long interview that we're going to do. But it's going to be with Chase Taylor, our head of research, and Harrison Cuppy, a guy that we've had on the show multiple times, a uh, buddy of both mine and Chase. Um, and the reason we're having Cuppy on is because, A, he's a friend of the show uh, and he's a buddy of Chase and I both. Uh, B, I think he's a very smart guy um, that is – created or, or generated some outstanding returns. He runs a hedge fund, a macro or event-driven hedge fund. Um, and and he has a decidedly different outlook than we do. I, well, so let me put it this way. I wouldn't say decidedly different outlook. If you looked at the things in our portfolios, you'd probably look at us and go, wait a second, you guys disagree? Um, because there's a lot of stuff that we agree on, but, but for different reasons. And Cuppy, basically his thesis at this point is that the fed is not going to be able to get inflation under control, that it's going to ramp. He thinks that rates are going to go a lot higher, that the 10 year has to go at least to six. He said, he thinks it could go as high as eight. Um, he still thinks oil is going 300 plus. Um, so we we have similar things that we like, uh, just for completely different reasons. And um, you know, and this is the big debate right now. You got the people out there saying, "What well, What's funny though is that if you'll notice, Cuppy is nuanced in the sense that he isn't saying that he thinks the economy is 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 healthy. He just thinks there's been too much money dumped in and it's not slowing down anytime soon, and that inflation has just been momentarily contained and it's going to spiral out of control. So. We, 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 we think, I guess we agree on the trajectory, right? The direction things are going. We very much disagree on the timetable um, because look, I, I, and I've said it a hundred times. I, I do think that we're going to have a recession. Maybe it won't be a technical recession, but I think, un, I mean, I don't really see how you get, a, uh, I don't really see how you get away from it, but uh, we believe unemployment is going to continue to go up, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um and I just it, for for us it's really simple. I just think there's way too much debt at too low of interest rates, and I think the shock of adjusting to rates up here is just too much. I just don't think the economy can bear it. Uh, but it's going to be a great debate, right? It, it's he, so I guess that you would say in weird ways, Cuppy is in the soft landing camp, but for not the same reasons that other people are, right? He doesn't think that everything's great. Look at the economy; it's strong. He just he just thinks. So, so we are on the same side technically, but we have very different outlooks about the next year or two. I guess that's the best way to put it. So we're going to have kind of that ultimate bear bull showdown as Chase put it. He's going to wear his Ric Flair outfit at the office today. Um, 
I, and I just checked. He's got it on. So he, 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 he's, he's ready to rock and roll. But I think it's just going to be a great – you're going to hear both sides of it. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, think for, I think from real smart guys that have really done their homework. Um, and we're not just going to throw conjecture out there. I, I read – th- there was a Bloomberg article the other day, and I believe the lady's name was Heather Son. Uh, and she basically wrote this, you know, people are fear-mongering. There is no recession in sight, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to talk to somebody like that because she's just full of it. Okay. Like, and, and what I mean by full of it is she's like, economies don't go into recession with growth this high. It's just complete nonsense. I I don't know what she's looking at. That is absolutely not the case. Typically, like I said, like 90% of the time, the quarter before the recession officially happens is usually a blockbuster, right? So you had 4.9, we've seen eight, we've seen nine, we've seen 11% growth in the recession or in the quarter prior to the quarter when the recession actually starts. And I, and, and, and these are the kinds of things that drive me insane. And this is why we have on guys like Cuppy to, 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 to disagree with basically, because I know that he's done his homework, right? He's not just going to throw some meme at you and everything is healthy and it's not. I mean, it, 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 like I've been sitting there reading it. She's a PhD economist from Harvard and I'm not taking any personal shots at her. I'm, I'm unfortunately, I'm using her as an example of why you have to be careful about who you listen to. Because, you know, I, I was asked about this on a, on a podcast that I appeared on yesterday. I was actually unaware of the article and they sent the article to me and they're like, what are your opinions? And I go, I, I, go, I don't even have anything to debate here because this is complete nonsense. They're like, well, what do you mean? I go, she's just wrong, right? And I, look, I'm not saying that I for sure know that third quarter is the quarter before the recession starts. I, I don't know. My guess is I think you're going to see it happen somewhere or, or, or really start to become apparent somewhere between the end of the fourth quarter and the beginning of the second quarter. That's my that, That's kind of my guess based on the way we see things going. Could I be wrong about that? Could it take into the second half of next year? Absolutely. I don't think it will, but it could. Um, <clears throat> so I'm not saying that that ha- – what I'm saying is is that when somebody makes a statement like that that is so completely just not based on fact, right? It's just completely based on conjecture, and you know that because you're going, ma'am, actually that's what normally happens. <laughs> I'm not saying it has happened. I'm saying like 90% of the time, that's what happens. Literally almost every time you have a blowout GDP quarter, usually one of the biggest in the last year and a half to two years, right before the recession. And why? I think it was kind of an economic crescendo, but one of the biggest reasons is businesses see things petering out or slowing down, you know, maybe not like thinking, oh, and and I don't think people really understand this when you, especially when you make consumer goods, you end up having a lot of money in your supply chain. And, you know, just like us personally, you know, as consumers, if you think you're heading into a rough economic time, what do you want to do? You want to lower your liability. You want to stack cash because it makes you more flexible. So what you see, and there are many different factors that play into it. But one of the biggest contributing factors to seeing those GDP blowout numbers is liquidation of inventory. And the, the, it, it kind of tells you something. We've talked about this in the show before, right? How do you liquidate inventory? You do it at a discount. Okay, so you see the nominal revenue number could look really good, right? The GDP number can look really good. But if you look under the hood, margins were dropping, right? Revenue might have been consistent with previous quarters or higher than previous quarters, but margins are getting pinched. What have we seen? I mean, that's exactly what we're seeing. So again, doesn't mean I know, know it, and, and Cuppy will tell you the same thing. That's another reason why we want to have him on here is because he's somebody that is informed. He does know these data points that we're talking about, but this is why I talk on the show. And again, I'm not taking any shot at Miss Son who wrote that that article for Bloomberg. I'm really not. But I'm using her as an example of who why you have to be careful with who you listen to. Right? And 
I think a lot of people listening to this show know that, and I hope most do, that I think one of the biggest things that we have learned unequivocally over the last six years, and this works on both sides, but it's something that I think that, you know, used to be scoffed at and kind of seen as a conspiracy theory. And I think everybody's kind of accepting it now is that the media most often has a dog in the fight, right? Most often there is some type of political belief or societal or cultural belief behind why they're writing it, or maybe it's just to generate clicks. Either way, when you're somebody that really looks at these things and really tracks data and checks everything because you have to because you manage other people's money, you're you're kind of wedded to the well. You should be wedded to the truth because you don't have room for opinion. Now, we all generate opinions, but you know what I'm saying. I can't. Well, I don't think it's going to go into recession. Why? Because it's too strong. Okay. Well, what does that even mean? Right? Too strong on a nominal basis. And like I told you guys, I, I the other thing about this is that I have a feeling. And I can't wait to discuss this with Cuppy, but I have a feeling that when we look back, and I don't think it's necessarily going to be intentional. I don't think it's a conspiracy theory, right? We never want to blame on, we don't never want to blame conspiracy or blame on conspiracy what can be explained through, you know, incompetence, right? So I don't think it's necessarily a conspiracy. I think it has to do with how irregular these things are, right? And you build models in economics or in anything, you build models based on averages and there's just nothing average going on. So my hunch is that when we look back with, 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 you know, with the advantages from hindsight, I think that we'll see that GDP numbers for a variety of reasons were misleadingly high, right? And I think one of the biggest factors is the way that the Fed calculates inflation. Okay. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that, right, GDP, economic growth numbers are based on nominal growth minus inflation. Okay, so I'm not saying that your nominal growth number is wrong. Okay, but if your inflation number is 25 to 50% too low, right, that it's, it's going to make, it's going to make the GDP number look a lot better. Right. So, and I've pointed this out in previous shows, but I just want to reiterate it set up for the, the art, the, the debate we're going to have with Cuppy. Um, so when you look at the Fed, the Fed is telling you that effectively CPI or inflation has risen by about 20% since the beginning of 2020. Well, I'm not saying, I don't think that they're ginging or ginning that data. I'm not saying that they're doing, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't believe that they're falsifying it or trying to keep it artificially low. I just think that over short periods of times, the way that they look at inflation doesn't really capture it, especially over short periods of time. Um, because there can be so much volatility in some of the, in some of the inputs. And I kind of look out the economy and I go, what is only 20% more expensive than it was at the beginning of 2020? I don't know of many things. I mean, maybe the Costco chickens, right? <laughs> but other than that, I mean, food costs are up more than 20%. Car prices went up significantly more than 20%. Homes are up more than 20%. I just, I think it is highly likely the, the average family's expense bill, now it can, it can vary widely, right? Like, so if that family has bought a new house and financed at these levels, bought new cars, financed at these levels, that can obviously make it a lot more. But I just think the average working family out there, I think that, I think that their expenses have risen probably more than that. So anyway, my whole point is saying, I think we're going to look back and see that, 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 the data was not, the economy was not running as hot as people think. And the, and the other reason I say that is because of, you know, all the different business owners that are clients of ours. I sit on the board of a small tech company, uh, audio technology company. We do business with multiple Fortune 500 companies. They're all telling us the same. So the consumer is slowing down. And it just, I don't, I see this nominal growth number. Right, because to be at four point nine, they were calculating it at what would they take off? 
3.2% inflation, something like that, 3.3. So they're saying that the nominal growth rate in that last quarter was eight. I I just see no evidence of it. I don't know anybody that's growing at that rate. I don't see anybody that reflects that. And, And we know by looking at the number, one of the biggest inputs, one of the biggest factors in that big number was bringing down of inventory, selling, right? Selling back inventory. So I don't know. Anyway, it's going to be a fascinating discussion. And I always like it when you've got smart, informed people that do do their homework, that disagree. And that's, and that's one of the, and they're also buddies and really respect each other because I think Cuppy's results speak for themselves. He's, I mean, he's had, now, for my clients out there, just remember, he's running a hedge fund so he could do things and he can stomach volatility and swings that you guys can't. But I, I think he's been over 100% returns on two of the last three years. Uh, and I think he was up big in the other one, too. So, I mean, he's – he and, and this is not his first rodeo. The other reason why I really respect him is he's put up performance numbers like that in stocks that most of you have never heard of, right? Uh, meaning he's truly looking – he is a fundamental investor. And uh, he takes big, big swings. And um, when you do that, you really got to know what you're doing, right? So anyway, I just have a, I, 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 I enjoy, I always enjoy going back and forth with him. And I, and I think he's a guy that really does his homework. And um, yeah, it should be a valuable discussion. So anyway, that was kind of a long preamble. But market update, guys, honestly, there isn't a whole lot. Um, we're recording on Thursday right now. I think the biggest part um, of the week is going to be the unemployment numbers, um, and they're not out yet. So <clears throat> I think they I think they actually come out tomorrow. Uh, Chase isn't here, but anyway. Um, so data I, yields are bouncing around. They're right as of right now. We're about where we started the week. The market is about where we've started the week. I think you were up on Monday, but you've kind of been just bouncing around. You know, technically we've finished up, but barely. You know, we're just kind of bouncing around these levels. I think the market's trying to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, and we've been obviously documenting this in the daily dots every single day. But I mean, we, you know, the game continues to be to watch rates, right? That's the story. And and to watch economic developments and um you know, I just think we're going to have to be, I think we're going to wait. And and the next segment I'm going to do is talking about the core foundation of risk management. And in times like this, it's patience. And I'm going to explain a little bit more about what that means and, and, and the way we're thinking and the kind of things that we're looking at right now um, and why I think it's really appropriate. And I think it's uh, something that not nearly enough people are doing. And um as always, these are the dangerous times at the heights of bull markets because everybody has seen – because by definition, right, just think about human psychology because it plays a lot into markets. The longer you watch something continue to go up against the odds, the longer you watch something beat, you know, continue to rise despite this smart person and that smart person telling you it can't last and, you know – Guys like me on the radio saying the market's really expensive. Now, to be fair to us, what did we say all those years along the way, right? We're like, look, we think this thing is crazily overpriced. We think our earnings are being overstated. But as long as we stay in 0% interest rates, as long as we stay in what we were referring to as zero financial gravity, theoretically, things can just keep going, right? Well, we're not in 0% interest rates anymore. We don't, we don't have zero financial gravity. Okay. And when, when you just get so used to seeing it go up, right. Human behavior where we should say every additional day it goes up is a day closer to where it's going to go down. It's not the way we think. And I'll give you a perfect example. If we sit around watching a guy winning a bunch of money at the roulette table, betting on colors, and he's hitting five, six, seven times in a row on red. And by this time, he's got a big old stack of chips on red. And people around the table, people start throwing their stuff in on red, right? Because he's on a streak. He's hot. Okay, well, in truth, it has does not matter how many times he's hit on red. It doesn't mean it's going black. It doesn't mean it's going red. It means that each time, it's got a 48% chance of hitting Wait, 
Yeah, black or red, because if you've got two zeros on the board and a roulette on a roulette board, right? So you got a 48% chance of hitting on black or red every time they spin it. Right? But you'll see these things happen. It's called recency bias or the hot hand fallacy. And the other thing that happens because we see the prices of the stocks going up, so many people think that's value, right? So they quit thinking about cash flows. They quit thinking about the fact that we're buying businesses, that fundamentals actually do matter, especially in the long run. And that's one of the things that we have to steal ourselves. The other thing, and you'll listen to every great investor say this, right? If you, if you start taking risk off the table, not completely getting out of the market because nobody can time it perfectly. But if you start taking risk off the table because the fundamentals don't make sense anymore, you'll almost always be early. You almost not because, because like everything in life, the market doesn't just usually go right up to the point of insanity and then stop. It usually goes through that point to both sides, right? Usually you go higher than you should to where it's, you're looking back on it. Think of the, you know, dot-com bubble back in 2000 where everybody so believed it and it was crazy. Nobody's paying attention to valuations. Then everybody looks back on it and they're like, that was so stupid. Why didn't we get out? What were we thinking? Well, what you were thinking, you're not stupid. What you were thinking is valuations hadn't mattered for a while. And everybody that was saying that stuff was too expensive, it went up 200% more after they said that. So they're wrong. They're an idiot. We're going to listen to the guy, right? It, it, it's people don't do stupid financial things because they're necessarily stupid. They usually do it because that's what they've seen work. And if we've seen it work, especially if we've made money doing it right, naturally, we're going to be biased to it. Right. It's just, it's, it's the way that we are. It's like why I sit there and tell our clients that bring over big real estate portfolios. They're like, Zach, I know I'm, you know, I'm not going to want to, and I'll cut them off and I'll go, I know you're not going to want to sell all your real estate. And they go, yeah, exactly. How'd you know? And I go, because it's made you wealthy. It's worked for you, right? And so I'm not, I'm not saying buying real estate is quitting, is the same as going out and buying these crazy tech companies at crazy valuations. I'm just using that as an example, right? We're all biased. So anyway, it, 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 this is going to be a, a great discussion and, and um, we'll, we'll dig into this. But as far as market update goes, um, you know, Disney had a, a – Shoot, Disney as of today was up like six, six and a half percent. Seems to me like some short covering. I think they reannounced a dividend or something like that. But other than that, it's been kind of a slow week. We'll we'll see what the unemployment numbers are. But um, and as soon as they come out, we'll obviously address them in the day in, in the you know what? We'll probably all have we'll put out a daily dots tomorrow as well. Or on Friday, just to so make sure we're up to speed. But anyway, guys, as always, give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. We've got a road show coming up next week, free of charge. We walk you through our risk management process. We walk you through our bond replacement strategies. We show you how we lower your risk, lower your fees, while simultaneously increasing your upside. Go to bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com. Thing lasts for about 45 minutes, uh, 35, 45 minutes. We do a Q&A session afterwards. It doesn't obligate you to anything. Like I said, it is free of charge. We used to only have 100 slots. I think we might have gotten rid of that limit. But anyway, there aren't unlimited spots. Thursday, November 16th at 3 p.m. is when we're doing our digital roadshow. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. If you're retired ahead of there, is your portfolio positioned for a successful retirement? With the state of the economy, risk management has never been more important. Join Bulwark's Zach Abraham for his final live webinar of the year this Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Pacific to learn how their risk management strategy and active management could potentially lower portfolio volatility for you. Todd, protecting retirement portfolios against loss is our number one focus. Our live webinar breaks down the retirement planning process, which is especially important during the threat of a recession, uncertain interest rates, and increasing market volatility. 
Don't just ride it out. We actively manage every portfolio looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Learn about Bulwark's risk management strategy and performance this Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Pacific. It's free, but space is limited. Register now at knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Check Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for my favorite time, my favorite part of the show, the interview. And this one will not disappoint. This is a showdown, right? A roundtable <laughs> smackdown with Bo- – I, I, I was trying to I, – I before I introduce you – well, without further ado, we're joined with Mr. Uh, Harrison Cuppy here of, of Praetorian Capital. Uh, Cuppy's a friend of the show, been on multiple times. And so it's just great to have you back, Cup. Uh, uh, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm excited for this one. It's for, the, for the smackdown, right? Uh, Chase, Chase was joking <laughs> around yesterday in the Daily Dots thing that we put out. He's like, yeah, I'm wearing my Ric Flair outfit in there. We're getting after it. It's going to be like an old WWE stare down, right? Um uh, the only the only SmackDown is thirty years. <laughs> oh, you know we own some duration, don't you? You're sticking it to us. Uh, I'm sorry for not you guys. a lot, not a lot. <laughs> we just dipped our toe in it right at five. Right, so far we've been right. Okay, with with our duration play. Um, okay. After we we held on to TLT a little too long this year, but um, yeah, we've been getting it's it's been a it's been a fun deal. And uh, as always, we've got. Chase Taylor, our head of research, joining us. But the, the, the point of this interview, just to set this up for the listeners a little bit, is um, I was trying to copy. I was trying to explain it in, in the market update part of the show, kind of giving people a, a heads up for what's coming. And I was like, if you looked at our portfolios, you probably wouldn't think we do disagree because I think that there's far more that we agree on. But we we do disagree on the path that that we're going to be taking. Um, over the next year and a half. And our listeners clearly know what we think. So I wanted to start off with just telling us uh, what your macro outlook is over the next, let's call it year, year and a half, two years, whatever the deal is, and where you think we're headed with rates, where you think the economy is headed. Just kind of lay that out and then also your reasoning behind it. And um, and then we'll we'll have Chase kind of respond back, and we'll see where it goes. But I, I first, I want everybody to understand, it's not that you're pounding on the desk saying this is the dawn of a new beautiful American bull market. You've got a different outlook, but for different reasons than most people think. So why don't you lay that out for us? Yeah, sure. I mean, actually, I think most risk assets are going to have a miserable year or two ahead of them. Uh, but I think that's because uh, rates are going up, and eventually. Things are, you know, priced on a earnings multiple, and uh, with with interest rates going higher, I mean, I think uh, most equity prices are going lower. Uh, my macro view is really a, a tale of uh, t- two markets. It's two narratives. Uh, you know, I, I think you need to start by remembering that in uh, 1975, uh, Manhattan went bankrupt, and the center of economic activity in the United States was effectively Dallas. Um, and there's been a 50-year cycle towards the wealth going to the coasts, and that's mainly driven by interest rates going down, and it's financing industries that uh, proliferate on the coasts, uh, everything tied to a cap rate, whether it's commercial real estate, private equity, VC. Uh, you know, the center of economic activity right now in the United States is either San Francisco because of the VC or it's Manhattan because of private equity. And I, I think, you know, it's been a 50-year cycle towards the coasts. And it's created a lot of very high-paying jobs in the coast, and it's created a lot of economic wealth for people. And that cycle is turning. And you know, I think that's the reason everyone keeps crying that we're having a recession, and everyone thinks that the world is terrible because the guys on the coast, the the, the one percenters, and really the point one percenters who make all their money on asset appreciation of, of their assets tied to, to, to interest rates, they're having a bad go of it for two years in a row now, where their assets are going down. But at the same time, all their expenses in their life, you know, their nanny and their second home and their gardener and their private school, that, that's all having an inflation. And so for the first time in their professional careers, they're getting squeezed on both sides where uh, their assets are going down and their expenses are going up. And I think on the other side of that, you see the other 99% of the population, at least the ones not on the coast tied to these industries, are getting huge uh, wage increases. I mean, we're invested in a lot of companies that are in middle America. And, you know, no matter what the industry is, their backlogs are at 10, 20 year highs. 
and they can't get labor. They can't get people. The people don't exist or they don't want to work because uh, everyone wants to you know, be, be a social influencer on Twitter and you know, drink their latte and air conditioning. And no one wants to grab a, a weld torch and actually do stuff. And I, I think you need wages to go up high enough that you suck people back into middle America doing the jobs that people need to do. And I think a lot of this is really being driven just by you know, reshoring, onshoring, you know, all that narrative. But it's really being driven by 8% fiscal. Uh, we're 8% fiscal in the boom, which means your teens fiscal in uh, the coming recession that we'll eventually have. And, uh, you know, I, I tend to think the fiscal narrative trumps everything else. I think, Chase, with your uh, lag reaper, I think you've done great work. I, I really enjoy it, actually. And I think you've almost, I mean, just reading between the lines, I think you've been a bit surprised by how long uh, it's taken to uh, have the recession that I think you, you, you expect. And I think it's that fiscal just keeps overwhelming uh, the, the other uh, aspects. And I, I think, you know, you, you've, you know, I think identified some of the reasons why it hasn't worked. Where you know you have corporates that borrowed money in 2021 at two percent, three percent, and they're putting the money to work at five percent, and so rates don't matter to them. And I think you can say the same thing about everyone who did a HELOC in uh, you know 2021 and put it all into money markets. Like there's some of these lagging things that will eventually catch up, and you know the catch up might still be a year or two in the future. I think you're going to get your recession, but I think your recession is going to be centered in Manhattan and San Francisco and all these coastal cities where you know. What happens in rates to determines the jobs market and determines a lot of the economy. I'm telling you, like our economy is booming, and I'll go into the debate part in a second. But I want to give you a narrative. Uh, you know, we've had a bunch of our companies report Q3 uh, numbers, and you know, we're looking at stuff like aerospace, for instance, where uh, you know you look at the backlog that Boeing has, and you look at all the components manufacturers, and you look at what's going to go into all the military as we restock everything. I mean, the capital of America might end up being Huntsville, Alabama. And, you know, a good friend of mine runs an MRO, uh, and he was telling me that in 2019, he was paying 20 bucks an hour, 25 bucks an hour. And, you know, this isn't like uh, welding where you can take a course for a couple hours and, you know, you can go weld. You know, this is something where you need tons of uh, licensing to work on aircraft. It takes many years to get these uh, certifications. And these guys were in their 60s. And they all retired during COVID. And if they were in the early 60s in 2019, they're mid-late 60s now and they're retiring. And my, my friend said that when demand came back in 2022 and 23 for MRO work, uh, he tried to hire these guys back and they didn't want to work at 25 an hour. And they didn't want to work at 35 an hour. And then one of his competitors started offering 50 an hour. And I said, what'd you do? He goes, well, there's only so many workers. I, I bid 60 an hour. He bid against me and I bid back again because we're fighting over the same people. And I said, so what happens to your contracts? He goes, we just go to the airlines and say, this is the new number. Take it or leave it. And the airlines are like, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. They're like, we'll, we'll just pay you more. And I think that's the inflation you're seeing. That's also just the, the wage growth you're seeing. And, and that, that trickles through to everything else. And I think my final point is if you put a million dollars right now in my checking account, I'm, I'm a finance guy from the coast, effectively. I don't know how to do anything except buy Q-SIPs because I have everything I want and need. I'm just going to buy more Q-SIPs. That's the only thing I know how to do. If you put $100 into some middle class guy's uh, wallet, he's going to take his wife out to dinner. That $100 is going to go to tip money. The whole staff at the restaurant is going to go out for uh, drinks afterwards. It's going to cycle through the economy a few different times. And I think that's what you've seen with fiscal. And that's what you're seeing with uh, my friend's MRO workers. And that's why the economy just stays so, so strong. But yeah, I, I understand your lag reaper. And I do think it's going to come. I, I just, it, it's lagged. Yeah. I don't know, sorry, I'm, ra I'm rambling. No, 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 no. I, no I, it's, it's funny. Like I said, I don't think that we disagree on on where we're headed. I just, I guess the disagreement is probably more on the timeline. Chase, why don't you answer back to what, uh, what Cuppy was just saying and kind of lay out your thesis and then we'll, we'll kind of get into the particulars. Yeah, sure. So to me, like, I, I agree with a, a ton of what Cuppy says. I just think a lot of it is better at explaining where we just came from, maybe even where we're at versus where we're heading. Um, like, Take take wage wage gains for example. I mean, those peaked out at over seven percent, and now they're down to like five. So you're already two percent off the highs, and everything that was driving wage gains to me is is letting up. You know, whether that's any data you want to pull on 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 the labor market at this point is weakening. It's it's going it's going down. Whether that's people quitting their jobs, the wage gap between people quitting their jobs and keeping their jobs, um, the number of people entering the labor force. In the last six months, they couldn't find a job. It's eight hundred thousand. So, like that puts a lot of downward pressure on wages. 
So, I mean, if you just look at a chart of wages, they went straight up. So like, it has definitely played a big factor. And to Cuppy's point, like that, that is still like cycling through and, and it's still pushing its way through. Um, but, but when I look at the, the end impact on the economy, at the end of the day, it comes down to how much money people are spending. Um, and we gave people a shocking amount of money. I, I, I still, I still don't think people grasp how much money we gave people. So, uh, so yeah, like to, to Cuppy's point that lag can be long and, and it has been, and Cuppy's right in, in the fact that it's lasted longer than I, I thought. But the key mistake there for me was just the, the most basic thing in the world. And it's, and it's, we talked about it a lot on the show, but rates don't matter until you have to pay them. And no one really had, had to pay them. And even now, like it, it's, it's only just starting to like really hit. And we see it with um, interest, interest costs as a percentage of disposable income. I mean, it, it stayed crazy low. And, but now all of a sudden it's a rocket ship. So um, as far as the coasts versus um, the rest of the country, I think, I think a lot of that's right. I used to work with some uh, some rocket companies that do a lot of work down in uh, in Huntsville. So I understand the power of a government contract and what it can do for for local economies for sure. After all the years working for for Uncle Sam, but at the same time, um, something that jumped out to me just this week, looking at uh, New York Fed's consumer credit um, data, is the the so they they actually bunch all the data by state. They tell you every single state what the delinquency rates are. And it's just like a cluster. They're all together. And then there was one state that actually kind of looked worse than the rest. And it, it's Texas. Uh, same thing. With, if you look at office real estate, maybe may the worst market in the country for office real estate right now is Houston, Texas. I mean, that's the energy capital of the country. Since 2014. Houston's been a, a train wreck of office space. I, yeah. I, I think you can't even look at it on a state-by-state basis because, you know, Texas has, you know, Austin has Dallas. Like, those almost I think, well, I think what you just said is Austin. That's, that's, that's the problem. Yeah. But you have these big cities that act like coastal cities, and then you go 100 miles outside the city, and things are just fine. Or even on the, uh, on the periphery, because housing won't slow down. They raised rates, and the home builders bought down the mortgages, and they just printed money still. Um, I'm amazed. I mean, look at like, uh, you know, I'm looking at like boating, for instance. Like, the, the numbers from the boating companies were reasonably good in Q3. Like, it's amazing to think guys are financing boats and there's a huge bifurcation because it's the expensive boats that are getting funded. It's not the cheap ones. But you, you just see all these weird data points and they, they raised interest rates and it hasn't mattered yet because the money's sloshing around. I, I think one of the things that has really thrown people for a loop this cycle is that everyone looks at, uh, you know, we're all finance guys, so we live in the real world. But the vast majority of people live in the nominal world. And that's why corporates keep beating because you have, you know, 7% nominal GDP. Well, I mean, if, if you're not growing your revenue 7%, you're like, you're kind of missing. And that's why, you know, all the corporates are beating. That's why there's money everywhere. Like, you have just to think. Yeah, but they're, 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 corporate, corporates always beat. And, and right now, revenues are like, a, they're worse than four years versus expectations. So. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, look, look at Malibu boats. The thing's been cut in half. I, I think they were just talking about it was never someone else on the boating side that was talking about their backlog is actually shrinking. But Marine Max, beat, they, they beat, you know, well, they had OK numbers. I mean, 80, like, 80 something percent beat. <laughs> you'd expect the numbers to be atrocious and they're not bad yet. I mean, I, I, I wanted to be short this stuff. And I'm thankful. I mean, it keeps going down, but the numbers are good. What? Um, I just think the economy's strong. What? what, what so when you're looking at – one of the things that we've been talking about, Cuppy, and I'm not sure if you've looked at this data set, so I don't mean to throw you a curveball if you haven't. But one of the things that we were looking at was that typically – and I, I can't remember what the percentage chase was. You can jump in here. But I want to say like 90% of the time going into recession over the last – what were we looking at? Like 80 years, going back to the Great Depression, I want to say, or right before it. They're like 90% of the time when you enter recession, the quarter before the recession officially starts – you see a blowout in GDP. And we've seen nominal quarters right before recession started as high as eight, nine, even 11% nominal growth um, right before right before a recession hits. And one of the things that we're thinking about is that it looks to us like it has decelerated, like the wage, you know, wages going, I mean, barely, I mean, we're barely taking down, but that rocket ship higher on wages has stalled out to some degree. It's decelerating. I, I agree it's decelerating. Uh, I mean, the fiscal is finally slowing down a little. I mean, th there was a time two years ago where they were just handing everyone checks. I mean, I remember my, we were getting checks even. And like, I, I'm the least 
deserving of a government check. I mean, I paid enough into the system to give me my 800 bucks. But, you know, it got to the point, I mean, the first check we got, I, I didn't know what the hell to do with it. Uh, There's nothing you could go buy. All the restaurants were closed. I gave it to my wife. She bought some shoes. When the second check came, I, I said, you can get some more shoes. And she goes, nah, I'll just wait for the third check and then we'll get something nicer. Like, she just knew there was another one coming already. And they just kept coming every month. Like, <laughs> I know. So if you felt and, like you were a member of like the Oprah, right? The, 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 you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Yeah, I got a check. I <laughs> I couldn't believe yeah. it. Um, no, but look, it, it's decelerating. I get that it's it's decelerating. I think things are slowing down in some places. Uh, I think you have this bifurcated market. I, I, I really do. I mean, a bunch of industries are just really strong, and I don't see them slowing down in the next two years because you can see the backlog numbers. Well, what about what, okay? I mean, but what about the construction industry? So one of the things that we're watching is one of the biggest, you know, one of the leading indicators of recession or or at least job losses, unemployment rate going up. And and this kind of gets me into another question. But you know, you start seeing the construction jobs lay off. We're seeing we're seeing like for instance, uh, multifamily housing uh, permit. Multifam is going to be a disaster uh, starting about six months from now because they have to finish the projects. Right, right. yeah, the permits multifam- are closing. But, it's all, but, but single family is just taking up the slack. And then you have all this uh, government-funded infrastructure stuff and factory and everything else is just taking up all the slack. I mean, they're building data centers as fast as they can. I, I mean, I don't know why, but they are. And it's just incredible how much slack it's all taking up. So how – Plus, the government is just spending money everywhere. So the 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 lag, so the the lag effect, I guess. Well, the way we open this up is that I don't think that we've got a disagreement on where we're headed, just in terms of timing. Why do you think? Do you think because of all of that cash sloshing around the economy that that's why the lag is going to be so much longer than normal? Is that is that basically the theory? Is that there's enough cash to where because if you start running the numbers, if Pete, you know, I know you know what's going on in commercial office space, but I feel like people can kind of keep going as long as they don't have to refinance something, right? So, why why do you yeah why do you think keeps it rolling? Is it just that extra? Cash? Look at commercial office. In the end, I mean, you have a guy who has a sliver of equity, and he's not going to be the owner in two years. There's going to be you know Blackstone Distressed Office Fund 19 that owns the thing, and you know. The guy who owns it now, it's really sad for him. But, I mean, he, he took a shot on goal with 10% equity. Uh, I don't think what's happening in office is going to, you know, lead to a crisis. The banks are, you know, they, they have plenty of equity. It'll just kind of kick the can. Um, I just think when you run 8% fiscal and neither party seems to care one bit about uh, the recession, that's 8% fiscal. And, you know, they, they put some stuff on top of it each year, you know, for the war. And now we have two wars and maybe we'll have a third or fourth war. Like, you know, and we're going into an election. You have the election cycle, so they can spend more money. Like, I think 8% fiscal just trumps everything else. It, it's just so powerful. And what we've learned is that fiscal is really powerful. Like, you know, we're running Banana Republic sort of balance sheets here. And fortunately, inflation is relatively high. So that, uh, you know, total debt to GDP has kind of stayed constant for the last two years and hasn't totally blown out. But, you know, if the economy slows, like the, you know, the debt to GDP is going to explode. Um, I just think that fiscal is really strong. And I mean, a lot of it is already programs that are funded. The money's there. They just literally can't figure out how to spend this stuff. So you can look at the backlog of these projects. You look at what's getting spent. I just think it stays strong, but you know the economy is going to be strong in metal bending and welding and aerospace and anything you can use to shoot at Russia. Like you know, all these industries. Like look at what's going on in oil and gas and just you know steel fabrication or you know highways and airports and it. it you, know, you just keep going on and on. There's all these industries that are super strong. Like they, they raised interest rates a bunch, and auto is even staying up there. I mean, it's it's not like you know gangbusters, but I mean, part of the reason it's not gangbusters is they still can't get enough chips. I mean, the demand for auto is still there, even at current interest rates. I mean, look at RV numbers. Like, how can RVs, like, who the hell wants an RV when oil is 80 and it's going to cost you 8% to fund it? But the numbers are okay. I just don't understand it myself, actually. Who, who's, who's our, I just had a curiosity. I haven't seen the RV numbers. I, I, I just kind of look past that. Who were you speaking to? to? Was it? We can look at like a Thor. Oh yeah, the I mean, yeah trailer manufacturer, right? Yeah, RV manufacturer. Yeah, I mean, just just pull, pull up the numbers. I mean, the numbers just weren't bad. I mean, the, the charts are kind of just a big chop fest, but the numbers should have rolled over, and they haven't. All right, Chase, 
go run us through. I want want you to hit back at that. Specifically, what? Well, just well, <laughs> sorry, I'm rambling. Yeah. No, 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 yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's yeah. all good. No, I just want so the flip side of that, right? The things that we've been looking at, for instance, looking at climbing delinquencies, looking at the amount on those delinquencies. Yeah. Yeah, del- delinquencies is going to keep climbing. You have, you have a two-speed economy. I, I think you have a lot of people in the coastal cities that had happy jobs as realtors or something else that, you know, it, it's going to take a long time for them to realize that, you know, their job went away and isn't coming back. You know, the idea that you could be a stay-at-home mom and, you know, do, you know, three home flips a year and make 200 grand and, you know, be a realtor and make an extra 30 grand in fees that way. Like that, that's over. That, that, that game's done. You have to go find an, a new job. And I think you, you're going to see a lot of delinquency uptick as people get repurposed and go find their, you know, their, their new calling in life. I, I, I expect delinquencies. I, I expect we're going to see a lot of the indicators of a recession. It's going to look like a recession. And based on, you know, the fact that as finance guys, we live in the real world, we're probably going to actually statistically call it a recession. And the nominal GDP is just going to keep chugging along. And when uh, the spread between you know, nominal and real starts blowing out because you're you know, an emerging market, and it's just going to play with people's minds. I, I lived in Mongolia for over a decade, which is an emerging market. And we had negative real GDP for, I want to say, 10 years in a Jeez. row. Yet at the end of the thing, you know, 10 years later, everyone had cars. I mean, the traffic got you know, obscene. Uh, interest rates were you know, 2% a month. 3% a month, but they built these big glass office buildings. Like all things moved ahead because nominal was, you know, double digits uh, strong, even though real was negative single digits, uh, negative. And that's just the way, you know, inflationary economies work when you run 20, 30% inflation. And it, it was surprising for me to see, which I think was part of the reason why I've not been particularly surprised by how this played out here. Oh, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you yeah, off. Yeah, go ahead, Chase. So... When it comes to fiscal, like obviously, like that eight percent fiscal, like wartime spending at full employment is is incredibly stimulative. But I think this this coming quarter is the the first quarter where that kind of fiscal thrust year over year is actually negative. Um, you know, California didn't pay their taxes for for a long time there, and they still haven't fully paid them. And then you go, I mean, we go into twenty twenty four, and corporates are paying more because their rates have gone up. Uh, there's going to be a lot of capital gains because people own the Magnificent Seven this year and they made some money. Um, and then when I look at the the kind of the spending side on, on fiscal and like what the work that's getting done, I think most people that follow markets closely know that manufacturing construction spending chart that just went just straight up. But what I don't what I think a lot of people don't know, because everyone stopped sharing that chart, is it's actually down since May. So we went straight up. And granted, obviously, we're still at a really high level, but that that sort of rate of change has completely died out, even on stuff like manufacturing construction. So a lot of the things that have powered us through the last year, even if they're not, you know, diving, I, I, the, the growth in them, the aggressive growth of them, it, like it is. Um, and going back to like the, like the coast versus the rest of the country, like if you read like the Fed's beige book, and if you want to just discount that, that's fine. I, I kind of like it because it's very anecdotal. Um, instead of just nerdy model crap the Fed puts out in other places. But the, the weakness in, in Beijing book, a lot of it's coming out of the Midwest. A lot of the worst commentary is coming out of the Midwest. Um, and obviously, you know, we're building a bunch of chip plants and EV battery plants and EV plants. But then, you you know, at the same time, like the sales for, for EVs are slowing. So you're, you're already seeing, I think Ford, I think it was Ford or GM, I can't remember, came out and they're like, yeah, about that next expansion we we're going to do on another one of those plants. We're going to we're going to hold off on that. So I think you're already seeing the returns on some of that stuff coming back bad enough to where they're going to slow down. So this manufacturing CapEx boom is going to slow down, I would say, significantly. I think fiscal has a chance at least of, if, if not going backwards, of, it, of at least flatlining to where it's not the impulse it has been. Um, and as far as like looking at uh, the delinquencies we were talking about earlier, I mean, we're at full employment and... People under 40 years old are having to give back their cars and defaulting on their credit cards at a scale that we haven't, I mean, we haven't seen since the financial crisis. There are even some of those numbers that are about to be higher than at any point during the financial crisis. And we, and we know from listening to like Equifax and these people talk about it, these people literally have jobs and they're doing this. So like to, like to me, the question is what happens, you know, whenever they don't have a job anymore, unless you think that doesn't happen. But if we do get, 
you know, call it four and a half percent unemployment at some point next year. Um, and we're already higher than the Fed projected for Q4. Um, if people lose their jobs, like how does that how does that credit cycle not kind of bleed out into other stuff? Well, I think we're going to have a credit cycle. I think you've done an amazing job with, with all your data and I, I really enjoy reading it. it you know, you, you flag tons of just amazing data. And for anyone listening, that's not a subscriber, you know, this is an endorsement. You should subscribe. Um, and I think you're going to see a credit cycle. I think you're going to see unemployment tick up. I think you see all the classic uh, signs of a recession. It's probably going to be called a recession because you're going to have negative real GDP. And I think it's just not going to feel so bad. I just feel like that fiscal and maybe, you know, if we're year over year, you know, comping negative on fiscal and it goes from eight to seven, which is possible, then, you know, maybe things will really slow down. But I don't see our government, you know, actually you know, put, putting the brakes on anything. Um, All right, guys, due to time constraints, we got to cut the interview off right there. But as always, pretty much every podcast engine out there has it. So just you can just Google Know Your Risk Radio podcast. You can hear the rest of the interview if you want to know what's coming up. Have a phenomenal weekend and we'll see you next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. If you're retired ahead of there, is your portfolio positioned for a successful retirement? With the state of the economy, risk management has never been more important. Join Bulwark's Zach Abraham for his final live webinar of the year this Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Pacific to learn how their risk management strategy and active management could potentially lower portfolio volatility for you. Todd, protecting retirement portfolios against loss is our number one focus. Our live webinar breaks down the retirement planning process, which is especially important during the threat of a recession, uncertain interest rates, and increasing market volatility. Don't just ride it out. We actively manage every portfolio looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Learn about Bulwark's risk management strategy and performance this Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Pacific. It's free, but space is limited. Register now at knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.